just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law since the day they was born Good old boys. A Mort. Bog beef. It's been a minute, buddy. We're back. House show. Back in the General Lee. We've jumped in through the windows. It's just the two of us out running the law. Yep. And back on familiar ground. We're going to be talking about Caesar today. Caesar and luck. The basis of this is I, I believe that Caesar had an advanced understanding of luck. And we'll, we'll talk about that as things go on. But uh, we'll just get started here. So, <clears throat> Merrick, imagine me and you like went out to like Red Lobster or something, right? I can imagine that actually, yeah. Sure, we go out there, we get some, you know, get the surf and turf, whatever. Imagine I just started screaming at you <laughs> in the middle of the meal or crying. <laughs> like that would be like really like bizarre, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, like I, I took too many of those uh, biscuits off the table. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Now, let's say you, let's say instead of you going to Red Lobster with me, let's say you went to Red Lobster with a woman that you were interested in. Let's say she ended up crying or yelling at you or something like that. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be super bizarre, would it? <laughs> Do you mean it's a general rule or me specifically? I mean, I mean this woman, <laughs> this woman, she's going to have a lot of range, right? Right. But, yes. Right. I mean, so you know, everyone's had these these kind of things happen. They have a ton of range. You know, women, they they, I don't know, they just do. Why do I bring this up? Because that woman is Fortuna. This is the uh, this is the Roman understanding of luck, and I believe this just in general is a better understanding of luck that most people have today. I think you look at how much people uh, throw away in the lottery and shit that most people don't understand luck and variance and understand. It, you know, there's even worse understandings where you have guys like. Um, uh, some of these kind of key stories and stuff that are like, well, every time I, every time I roll the dice, I come up six, you know, like it doesn't matter what happened. That's not a very, uh, good understanding of luck either. But so I'll just start, let's start off here with a quote from Caesar. This is, um, after a, a, a huge engagement with, uh, with Pompey sort of as he's wrapping things up, he says this, but fortune powerful enough everywhere plays a particularly important part in war. The slightest tilting of the scale can lead to a complete reversal of a situation as happened on this, on this occasion. That's a very advanced way to think about luck. It, it, it is, but it's also like the most ancient way. <clears throat> Father Zeus raised his golden scales, setting there two fatal lots for death's long sorrow. One for Achilles, one for horse taming Hector. Seizing it in the middle, Zeus raised his balance. Hector's fatal day sank, moving down to Hades. So what is different than this than sort of than other religious stuff? Well, first of all, fortune is not a like a god of favor. Fortune, I'll say fortune from now on. It sounds like I'm talking about uh canned fish when I say the other one. But um <laughs> so fortune is it's not it's not like a it's not like it's not, it's not like a desert god that you you need to continually appease by doing uh sacrifice stuff. It, fortune is the god of luck and chance. People, will, people, you will hear Romans say like, ah, you know, I've, I've had good, I've had, I've been on fortune, fortune's been on my side lately. But like, they, they're always cognizant that that could change on a dime. You know, like, like this um, uh, Red Lobster scenario. And it's not necessarily that they're screwing up, but a, fortune is fickle by nature. This isn't a, a thing you can directly appeal to. Okay, you take that. Now I'll take in what Caesar was talking about earlier. And he, Caesar talks about luck a lot. This is this is kind of why I thought of doing an episode like this, is that he, I mean, he understands luck. He's talking about luck all the time. Uh, he's, you know, he tells people he has unfailing luck. Uh, so he, I have a speech here where he says he's had unfailing good luck for nine years, fought many successful battles. Now he tells that to other people, but when he's writing in his diaries and stuff, he's more, you know, he's, he, he's, that's something that's a different thing. When you tell people, when you tell people wanting to sign up to fight for you, that you have great luck, <laughs> you know, and then in his book, Caesar doesn't win it. He's not a guy that wins every battle. Winning and losing battles, what he was saying is, you know, winning and losing a battle, that's up to variance. I mean, you'll find that someone like Napoleon, his win-loss ratio isn't really all that different from his glory days from the time when he time when he fell. The difference was his ability to, you know, follow up and finish the job and stuff. And so, but the variance comes in battle. Now, now, now why? 
let me take on one small point there where he says huge swings happen from the small from the smallest of chance. Well, how, what's a good way to think about this? So uh, I, I love poker. I played a lot of poker. Remember back to the uh, World Series of Poker. Remember that show Entourage? Yeah, it was on HBO, right? It was kind of uh, what, what we call them, like uh, aspirational shows that we yeah. hated. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, hey, imagine if your best friend was was tom cruise in the 80s wouldn't that be cool yeah yeah and see that that show was based uh one of the the people it was based on was a guy named jamie gold jamie gold gold won the world series of poker now that's not like that why is this interesting well so jamie gold is just clearly not a great poker player and he's playing a tournament with people that are much much better Uh, now how is he able to win because like you know when you go these big tournaments whatever getting lucky like four times wins you the championship like if you're a professional player and you play these tournaments you don't know if you're a winning player unless you play a hundred times there's huge variance you can't if you're the best player you don't show up and win the best player you have like a uh you know a four percent chance uh higher to win than a basic player you know we talked about this when we did uh philosophy versus hot lead you know a a, a knight who trained his entire life in in a sword fight against a peasant is gonna win nine times out of ten but you give you get you have two guys with guns and <laughs> it's pretty much it, it's for the most part it's anybody's ball game. Yes, and, and this is relevant not just in war, not just in poker. This is relevant in your daily life. You, you, this is something to take into consideration with how you make decisions. So you know, I, I dated a girl for a while, and she was at a she was an elite program of elite school. And as like a grad student, they somehow participate in uh, however the applications for. I don't know. I, I you know I I'm I don't have a college degree, so I don't. I'm I'm talking in things that I don't have a huge understanding of. But and so they were they would try to they would you know help uh, uh you know go through the the resumes and stuff for uh, whatever applying to this this elite program. And the first step of this process. They would just take half the resumes and just throw them away without even looking at them. <laughs> because there's like seven slots and there's like a hundred applications. So, you know, what do you do now? You know, if you're this person on the other end, you can, you know, you can take these things personally, or you can like, you just understand how much luck plays involved. And you, you were talking about the battle. I mean, uh, there are so many battles in, in history where a stray bullet hits the commanding officer. Yeah. That's just pure luck. When Caesar talks to you about fortune, he's coming from the perspective of a man who lived a hundred years before the birth of Christ. As we've said before, you kind of have to think of these people like aliens, that their thought processes, they're not like ours. They don't have the same priors that we do. And I think that fortune itself is one of those really great examples. Like it's easy to understand, but when you when you stack the two ideas about fate and luck against each other, you can see how different these people are. As uh, as you said earlier, it, it wasn't like for, you know Fortuna was making things happen and you had to sacrifice a goat to her to, to make her happy. So she'll do these things for you. You could influence your luck, especially in a bad way. If you were like a bad person and you were, you were screwing up, you could invite the gods to, to bring you misfortunes, right? You were, you were, uh, you were, you were tempting fate, but it's not like fate had it out for you, right? It wasn't preordained. Like that's probably the one of the, one of the biggest differences because like in, in our Christian tradition. There are a lot of arguments about this, but they mostly come down to questions of free will and predestination. And we we have a, like we have a phrase we call like an act of God, right? This is something that came a bolt from the blue you couldn't have expected. But it's not like this was just random circumstance. Like this was part of the plan. You just didn't know about it. I think that's really important an important distinction to make. This kind of goes back to what we talked about recently when we talked to Malcolm about the uh, Iron Age classical view of man's place in the universe versus the Abrahamic religion, religious traditions view of man in the universe. So like when Caesar's, when, when Caesar's talking about his, his fortune, he's playing the probabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, there's another thing that he brings up a lot. So if you, if you read the civil wars, you'll see that any chance that he has to avoid battle and negotiate a uh, negotiate either a, a, we'll say a surrender by the enemy, but it's often not. It's not like a thing where they 
you know, they prostrate themselves before them. Like he lets them keep their weapons and stuff like as soon and so forth. Also, like as soon as he, the second that he gains the advantage in the battle, he offers, he offers uh, uh, good terms to the enemy to, to stop the battle. And he says, like, he literally says that he does that to not tempt fortune. And that is a, gr- that uh, once again, this is a very genius way to look at that. And so if you're thinking of it, things that way, then you, like you understand what's going on. So what, what's he doing there? So th- there are, there are high variant situations, you know, in, in poker, let's say in poker, let's say I'm a better player than you, Merrick. So what I'm going to want to do is get into long hands where, we're going to be betting small amounts and stuff and there'll be low variance. Now, what you would want to, if you're not as good as me, I you're going to be decided in one hand. You want to, you want a coin flip. You yeah. want to just shove it all in and make us coin flip for it. And you know, he's telling you that battle is a high variance situation. If you go to the club looking to uh, meet a romantic partner, that club is a high variance situation. You know, if you're applying for a job, that's a high variant situation. Now, sometimes you must do these high variant situations. There's ways to deal with this and, and things you can do to help yourself, and which I think Caesar understands that as well. But you have to understand what is a high variant situation and what is it. And, and, that, and that's how you can sort of, this is like exposure. You know, this is like risk. This is like, this is the exact same thing that when, you know, when you're investing, you put, 20% of your money in a, you know, in a, in the stock market where it's high variance, or you put it in crypto, it could blow up or, or it could, or it could go to the moon overnight. That's doggy coin. Whereas, you know, your low variance situation, that is your, that is your money, money market stuff. And what is the low variance situation? That's, that's negotiating a, a piece. If the two guys come to the, to come to the center and they're going to talk out how, you know, they're going to separate and not fight. Well, that's a very low, low variant situation. What could go wrong? I guess someone could have a heart attack. Specifically in, in his specific case, the end of the civil war is one of those situations where after the battle of Dyrrhachium, Pompey has him hemmed in. He's going to be starving to death. It's like he can't supply his army. They're trapped. There's no reason to do anything other than just wait until his his soldiers give up and surrender. But instead, Pompey pushes for a battle that happens at Pharsalus, and he loses everything. And, and there's, a, there's a great quote in uh, in Caesar's commentaries about the follow-up of Duratium, where he says that victory would have been the, the enemies to have if there was one among him willing to take it. Yes. And that after battle situation, that is the low variant situation. That is just execution. That's on you. You know, if you're out there, like, uh, you know, that's your first day on the job. That's not the application. You know, that's, that's on you to take care of that. But that's not, that's not a huge variant situation. There's a, there's a great moment where he's, you know, he's in the civil wars and he's got to make some time and there's, um, they say mariners there's there's like a river and that he can he can he can go faster if he aboards a ship and uh and hits the seas so he finds the ship he flags him down he says i'm julius caesar i've got lots of money and i can and i need i need passage on this boat i need you guys to help me out i'm in a serious situation they tell him that there's bad weather ahead and they don't think they should go forward caesar says well i'm julius caesar i have the greatest luck in the world <laughs> You know, fortune smiles on me and they say, okay, sure. And you know what happens? The storm, a storm <laughs> comes and they can't go forward at all. They have to dock the boat. And you know what he does? He just keeps going. He does. He doesn't make any changes to, to, to how he's proceeding. And that's how you should do. So, you know, in poker, there's something that you can sort of tell the amateur player from the good player is that, you know, the amateur player, they'll, the opening hand, you'll, you'll see in movies and stuff. They got, you know, ace ace and the other guy's got five six or something ace ace is gonna win but it doesn't win as many times as you would think and, and you know if if your ace ace getting cracked is gonna is gonna crack you well you're not gonna have a good career this is julius caesar is the greatest one many people say the greatest general in history and you can read these uh the civil wars he loses engagements all the time it, on what you were talking about you remember that for a while like it was really popular to have like celebrity playing poker and they'd have like, you know, Phil Helmuth or whatever comment commentating it. You remember that? Yeah. Do that? And it was great because they, they would, he would always say that like pocket aces or pocket Kings, were like were, were 
a trap. The, these people would get really excited when they see when they saw that, but it's like that's not actually it, it, it's not an instant win by any means. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, take a guess what Ace Ace versus Ten Nine. What, what what's the like before the hand drops? We both go all in. I have Ace Ace. You have Ten Nine. Sixty forty maybe. It's uh, it's like it's like eighty twenty. Okay. Which guess what? If you play a lot of poker, you're going aces are going to get cracked a lot. Yeah, with a couple hundred thousand dollars on the line, eighty twenty art is, is not as good an odd as you would like. Hell no, hell no. So I mean, so you know, the premise is we're talking about how genius Caesar is with luck. I mean, do you you told me you're reading things the other day about people who weren't so genius. Well, it's not that they weren't genius. Like, uh, okay. Our friend, our friend, Brian Paris, who's a professional gambler. Uh, you should follow him on Twitter. He's really entertaining. He has this word for the, some people and I, it might be like an industry term. I don't know. I'm not, uh, this might shock you guys, but I'm not really familiar with, with gambling. I don't, I don't do it, but he calls them degens, like degenerate gamblers. Right. Mm-hmm. That's an industry term. Yeah. So the, the, the thing about Caesar is that he is a conqueror. He takes massive risks. Uh, at the aforementioned Valderachium was a huge risk he took. Uh, he he nearly lost the entire war on a gamble. Uh, crossing crossing the Rubicon was a huge gamble. He he says that himself. He goes, "Now the die is cast." I was like, you know, which I think if, if if Caesar was alive today, he would be saying like, "I'm all in now." Right? That's that's what the die the die is cast meant in that context, right? Yeah, sorry, if, uh, I might not have used to know this, but I mean, so cast means throw. Yeah. So, so he's, you know, he's he's rolled the he's rolled the dice. Yeah, and, and if you, and one thing I do know about gambling, once you roll the dice, all bet all bets are final. There's no there's no going back from there, and that's what he means. Now that I've done this, this is it. We're we're all locked in. There were people who were like Alexander is the is the prime example. Uh, Caesar. I saw someone on Twitter the other day say that Caesar was just an Alexander Larper. Uh, he meant it in the context of it's not bad to be a LARPer. Like if you were LAR- like a Caesar LARPer, that would that would be like a good thing to be. You're modeling yourself after this great man. And Alexander conquered uh, a huge portion of a huge portion of the known world. He destroyed Persia. He he went all the way to the to the Indus River. But he he could, he didn't know when to stop. And that is a common theme amongst conquerors. And it's not universal. There are examples of ones who who did stop and 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 died, you know, died in office in old age. But Alexander was not one of them. He kept pushing forward to his army mutinied and killed half of them off in the desert of Afghanistan. And then he died young from a disease because he just, he couldn't stop. He had no stop in him. And there were people like, uh, uh, Croesus of Lydia who has, he's, he has the most, he has the most famous or, uh, Delphi Oracle reading in history where he asked the Oracle, should I invade, should I invade Persia? And they say, if you do, you will destroy a great empire. Right, you, you, everybody's heard that story. And the, <laughs> the, the empire was his own. There were these people who were like that, like uh, the Diadochi, Alexander's, the people who fought over Alexander's kingdoms. Like there are so many points in time where you had a person who had secured so much power, like they had had a huge chunk of the of of the known world, like the Hellenic Empire. But it's not enough. They they got to have every last thing. They have to they have to match Alexander. There's you know one more mountain you need to cross, and they throw it all in the trash. And like, I think that the, the interesting thing about Caesar is he never reached that point. However, you have speculated very often that if he had lived, he would have broken himself. And he may have broken himself in Persia like uh, a lot of those people that we just ta- I just talked about did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think so. This is something people comes up a lot. A lot of people. Uh, so I, I love Caesar. I'm a huge Caesar guy. And a lot of the Caesar discussion on on the Ides of March, it just, I don't think people should talk about it. Like in terms of like lost, um, potential because sees the, the, I mean, to be real, the reason why he died is that his story was over. It's kind of a lot to get into right now. It kind of gets into patronage stuff, whatever, but like the future of, of Caesar living was not a happy future for, for most, most of the, like his, you know, class peers in Rome. And that wasn't the case before he died. There was at least enough people who would support him. Now, oh, now, why do I say this? Okay, so what happens when what happens when he died? So uh, he comes back. He's basically, in my opinion, becomes dictator in self defense. I'm, you know, I'm drinking the Kool Aid there, but I, I, 
And I know that, but I, I really believe that. I, it's a great I, quote about Romans, right? Contemporary quote that they invaded they invaded the world in self-defense. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what people say about Germany and at least the First World War, that, you know, they're just surrounded all the time. But, you know, well, I'll defend that a little bit. So, you know, if you can look at, you can look at, read his diaries, read what, you know, in his diaries, there's reason to believe uh, a lot of the factual claims that are made in there. You know, not every single person in his army was like, there were people that were relatives of, of his enemy in the army. So serving in the army wasn't something where like, you helped your friend or whatever. This was like a, this is like a real military. Meritocratic. Yeah. So, uh, uh, like Cicero had a nephew serving under him and stuff like that. There were people there that would have known. Uh, I mean, if he was just totally bullshitting about stuff, but, uh, and I'm not saying that about his fact about his, like, you should be able to read it and understand when he's telling you something factual, like we took Brundusium on the, you know, on the 9th of June or when he's making an argument, the Senate refuses the compromise. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, if you look at that, he kept offering peace and they, they didn't let him. Now I, 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 I think everybody was kind of locked in at that point there, but there was no way for, I mean, he offered to give up his armies and retire to private life. They couldn't tolerate that now. Okay. Let's go, go to when he dies. So, okay. He's, he's, god emperor of rome there's nothing else he can get in rome and caesar has a motor here's a uh, a quote by uh plutarch he's talking about the fact that caesar's like giving away all his money to his soldiers and stuff in a way that other people don't this is a kind of a common thing in history that like uh huey long claimed to be like super rich when he died they found out he was bullshitting why you know why why wasn't he rich he could have been rich because you know do you want do you want the honor or do you want the money because if you want the honor you're gonna have to give up the money here's what plutarch says this love of honor and passion for distinction were inspired into them and cherished in them by caesar himself talking about their soldiers his soldiers who by his unsparing distribution of money and honors he showed them that he not heap up wealth from the wars for his own luxury or the gratifying his private pleasures, but all that he received was but a public fund laid by the reward and encouragement of valor. He looked upon all he gave to deserving soldiers so much as increase to his riches. You know, and Plutarch, uh, Plutarch tells you that, so Plutarch is basically, I don't know what you would say, like a conservative, whatever, where he does not like approve of Caesar's rise to power. But, you know, towards the end, he just breaks down. He says, Caesar's a great man, because he had this like uns like unquenchable thirst for honor and achievement. That's what that's what makes a great man. That's kind of and not it's not entirely a distinction from from our our view of what makes people good. Although there is an aspect of like I would say modern Western, not just Christian, but modern Western thought that the love of glory is not an admirable quality, or at least it's not, it, 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 you, perhaps you could say it's a neutral quality. It can be good or bad. Whereas to the Roman mind, that's an untrammeled virtue to, to seek glory is good for them. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we have these buttons. We just have a, a, a culture that sort of diminished them uh, uh, heavily. Well, okay. So let's think about Louis the 14th. I mean, obviously we're jumping way ahead in history of the sun King. He conquers a huge part of Europe. He's like, he's, he's probably, he's one, he's not probably, he is one of the greatest monarch in like modern European history. He's the model of like the absolute ruler. Uh, he's one of these guys who didn't have the, he didn't have the stop button. He kept going, kept going until his enemies outnumbered him. Uh, he was barely, he was barely able to hold on to what he, to, to what he had. He was forced to, to give up on his family members in Spain. And, you know, and he's an old broken man. And he says, God is punishing me because I loved glory too much. Like this is, this is my punishment for being for my vanity, for, for, for loving glory. Kind of like we we're talking about Alexander before, or like you, you brought him up. Napoleon, Napoleon's another guy, no stop button at any, at any one point, Napoleon probably could have brokered a piece that, that would have lasted if he didn't, if he didn't want to take every, he, he just, he just wanted everything so much. He wanted to control Spain. He wanted to, he wanted a uh, Poland. He, he wanted 
literally a continental system. Like he wanted to control Europe. There was no, there was no point where he could just come to a stop. And he was thinking about Caesar and Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. That was some yardstick he measured himself by. But the problem is, I think that like, it, it's not, it's not a universal thing because like, obviously we do admire these men, even if we think that they screwed up. Uh, you can say, well, if Napoleon, he could have done better for the French people if he would have just, you know, held back after this battle. But that's one of the reasons why we love Napoleon. That's one of the reasons why he's a hero because he didn't, because he was there. There's something in us that makes that it's very appealing to these guys who just won't take no for an answer. Right. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, I was, I was looking through the Prince by Machiavelli and I thought I had read this. I did read this book in high school, but I'm almost certain now that I didn't read the whole thing actually. Because I saw a passage in here about fortune in this very subject, and I know I would have remembered this passage if I had actually read it. So apologies to my ninth grade English teacher or whatever when I did my book report. Here's the quote. For my part, I consider it as better to be adventurous than cautious, because fortune is a woman, and if you wish to keep her under, it is necessary to beat and ill-use her. And it is seen that she allows herself to be mastered by the adventurous rather than by those who go to work more coldly. She is, therefore, always womanlike, a lover of young men because they are less cautious, more violent, and with more audacity, Commander. That's amazing. You know, Caesar was known for being good with women. That was maybe his only it was maybe his only vice, right? Like he, he did not he did not he did he was he didn't eat too much. He didn't drink too much. He he didn't like to spend money on like baubles or or fancy things he used it to buy you know to buy power i don't know how much like i don't know how much of a vice that it is like all the levers that we know that he had he was using them for political gain well we'll say this his there was two vices that his like his his soldiers accused him of when they did his did that thing where they ridicule you ridicule you for your triumph they said Mm -hmm. that he loved spending money borrowing money and spending money he didn't have and he loved he was a whoremonger (laughs) yeah now, in terms of like, uh, how different are we than them? Well, here's an example. I mean, so on a scale of one to ten, you know, how how much esteem, how, how much do you respect um, the United States Medal of Honor? Ten. Okay. Now, everyone's seen uh, uh, these wreaths that the Romans wear on their head. You know where the wreath comes from? The grass crown, right? It is a custom for soldiers rescued from a siege to present a wreath made of grass to the commander of the relieving force. The award was extremely rare. Plenty of the elder enumerated only eight eight times occasions have warranted the honor. So that's a certain that's a certain crown. There was another crown you got for being the first man over the wall in a siege. Mm-hmm. That, they maybe maybe you're talking about the same thing, but this it's literally the same thing. This is this is that's their medal of honor. Caesar wanted one because he was bald and he wanted to uh, cover it up a little. <laughs> the, the, like the LeBron James headband move. What you yeah. Doing? Discover the receding hairline with that. I think this is, you uni- know, it's universal. Like in any society that has hierarchies, which is to say any society, you're going to respect these kind of men. And I, I, what changes over time is how much we value particular virtues. Like, I don't think the Romans super valued humility, right? Like it, it was, it was kind of a virtue, but not, like, it's not something that you would have been highly respected for, right? Humility? Yeah. Hmm. I wouldn't go as far as to say it was a vice for them, but like they, they didn't think that was the most important thing. I, I mean, I don't, so they definitely understood that people could be a prick, but right, also, but right. th- there, there was also a way that you could live up to a higher standard. Right. But I could, but I'm just saying like, if let's compare that to, you know, a, mon- a monarch in the modern era, Christian era, like, Humility from a powerful man is like we we love that stuff. Think of it in the concept context of America, where we have this untrue, but it's like you're supposed to say this that the president of the United States is not a powerful man. Like I work for the American people; I'm their employee. You know, George Washington did not want; he wanted to just be called Mister Washington. They don't want any pomp or circumstances. I'm just a guy. I'm just a bureaucrat doing a job. And you could argue maybe that is true in 2022, but it wasn't. It wasn't at the turn of the 19th century. Like you were an extremely powerful person, but because he he didn't do that, he we we loved him. And I don't okay. think that necessarily translates to the, to the ancient Romans. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, let me. Well, I mean, complicated a little bit. We won't go that deep into it. Well, there's a phrase: primus inter pares. The first among equals because of their, uh, he, he claimed to not be a king. You know, like, uh, what's the one thing Plutarch, Plutarch, like calls him a king is like a, is it's, like, it's, a, 
Yeah, they hated that. That you you're you're getting too big for your britches. Now, I mean, it's you know, I'm complicating, and there there's a in between of this, you know. Right. Well, we, let, let's think, like, let's take uh, Old Hickory, somebody that we both love and respect. Uh, you know, he's uh, born in a log cabin. He's just a, a spitting, spitting chaw and dueling. And he's a backwoods guy. He's, he's uncomplicated. Come from humble origins. He's not, you know, you know what I'm saying. He's that guy. You wouldn't, if you were a Roman optimate, you would not want people like to be to be a new man was embarrassing. Like your your little chickpea Cicero, we're not going to let you forget you come from humble origins. Whereas, like in in our moral system, a powerful man who came from humble origins and is humble, like he's he's the ideal leader. That's what we want. Yeah, I mean, so there is a legitimate difference. So you can see this in the in someone. So you know what is what is someone like Caesar or even Napoleon doing? You know, they're striving for greatness. They want to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you see. Uh, uh, the paint there's a you know there's a painting that there is of napoleon there is of andrew jackson uh there is of george washington when they're astride a horse it's like a three-quarter view they got the sword in their hand up and they're saying i'm a great great man do we have we don't really have that anymore now could i bridge the gap here and sure caesar pulled an alexander he said caesar said he was the son of venus right he was he was the son of a god mm-hmm and after he died, he 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 ascended into into the heavens and became divine, like literally divine. His his nephew, you know, made that the basis of his power that I am the the adopted son of a god. Uh, Alexander did the same thing. He said he was the son of Zeus. Let's see the the Ro- the Romans claimed that their city was founded by Tro- the Trojan nobility who fled here. We have we have an, we have royal blood in our veins or divine blood in our veins. You would never do that any if you wanted to become powerful in the United States or whatever in the, in the West today. You would never do that. In fact, it would be it's better to be born in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere and well, become great because you you have become great through your actions rather than you were than you are living up to what you're supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying that's better or worse because we've talked about this many times. The idea that like you're de- you're descended from Zeus or from Venus means that you have like noblesse oblige like you talked about it when you were on that podcast talking about walking tall you have you have not only benefits from from being powerful you have obligations you have to live up to something whereas if you're a meritocratic powerful man if you're a self-made man you don't know jack to anybody yeah and uh, to complicate this again uh (laughs) there was a thread going around last week talking about henry cabot lodge wrote about a genealogist who had traced um george washington is a direct as a descendant of odin <laughs> and the thing is like why did he why did he do that well it's obvious i mean and so this is the, you know the thing is like the further you go back in american history the more we you know more we get closer to that that roman model this is the thing we talk about with Tinkzorg, where you know there was a guy that he was doing history in sweden and he said everybody descended from uh was it the uh, you know the iliad took place there homer was swedish the garden of eden was the sweden this is what you do you know this is this is how you this is how you make a claim it's important to note that also henry cabot lodge was a, a 19th century and early 20th century republican blue-blooded like he was as close to american aristocracies that we that we had and at the time his political enemies would have been people cut from the Jack, not, not Jackson quality people, but people cut from that mold. Right. Like they, they would have been the, like the uh, backwoods. You had populists like William Jennings Bryan. So like when, when he, when he's making this argument, he's not necessarily coming at the same direction. Right. He's mm. a little bit blue, blood, blue blood himself. But anyway, I continue. Sorry. Yeah. I got into a debate with right wing guys about this. I was just looking it up where they said that, like uh this was like uh wignet guys were saying that Caesar isn't a um uh he's like uh you know he's like a democrat basically and so he doesn't match up to their their <laughs> their standard of being red pilled and so I said Caesar my blue blood comes from my family's direct descend- descent from the goddess Venus I'm a priest of a religion where we literally worship ancestors and then I said uh it's not based <laughs> enough for you <laughs> Wignat says Caesar wasn't red pilled on IQ. Look at the science. Typical lib. 
Okay. But, uh, and by the way, I, you know, um, embarrassingly, I made a similar claim here, uh, on the 25th. I said, few know the real <laughs> truth of the Trojan Prince Aeneas, that he settled in Northern Ireland, uh, Hyperborea, and I am thus descended from he. This is just not a move you got to make. <laughs> well, remember a couple, like, I don't know, it was a year or two back. You were like, uh, actually, uh, the story, <laughs> the story of the Iliad happened in Northern Florida. <laughs> yeah. That was a that was a good one because there was there was a bunch of uh, uh, funny um, uh, coincidences with that. That's <laughs> that's what that's just what you do. Uh, so, by the way, going to the the Plutarch thing. So yeah, Plutarch is you know Caesar's saying I'm not I'm not a king. Whatever Plutarch's saying, this guy's a king. He's a he's a uh, tyrannical. But to finish the thing about why he died. So um, d- the good things for Caesar were generally good for Rome. Up until the point where he conquers all of Rome. Now the problem is you're Caesar's, right? So you're you have a undying you're desperate for for honor and achievement. And you you haven't and in in your mind, you definitely haven't beaten Alexander. Now the problem is is that Caesar won too much at this point. It really was totally unrealistic that one man would take on the Roman state and win. And you know, and by the way, it conquered Spain, conquered France, had had even traveled to to Britain. I mean, this is all this is all like a ridiculous thing that that a, a very odd thing that someone would get so powerful so fast. What was he doing when he died? He was planning the only thing that there would be to do. What do you do? You go to Persia. It's the big red button in Roman history. When 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 things finally calm down at home, just smash the big red. Let's fuck it. Let's go invade Persia button. And by the way, that turns out really badly almost every time. Yeah, yeah, and you know the, everything. The problem, you know, the Roman army kicked a lot of ass in Europe. Rome, the Romans didn't really have the cavalry. And then second off, you know. Uh, this is something I bring up all the time, but you know, people say like this army beat that army. So like, you know, the, the, what is the, the Vietnamese military in, in uh, Vietnam war? The Viet Cong or the Viet, Vietnam, yeah. Vietnam? Yeah. So like the Viet Cong beat the United States military or Finland beat the Soviet union. How? Well, they're playing defense and it's a totally different thing when you are dragging food and, and, and arms and, and you know, this, when you're dragging stuff to Persia, uh, they were going to, he was going to lose and it was going to be super costly. And it was just a bet. Like it's not his fault. What was he else? Was it, what was he going to do? There was no end from Caesar where he just becomes good King Caesar. That's not, he doesn't have that motor. I, it, it's not a given that he would have lost to Parthia. Like, uh, you know, like, okay. Oh, he would have made it interesting. Antony did, Antony did, but uh, the Romans eventually beat the Parthians. So, I mean, it's not impossible that he couldn't have done it. But, yeah, I mean, this is, it, it wasn't the – it definitely wasn't the move. The, the big thing with Caesar was he, he didn't have any kids, so who was going to take power after, you know, after he was gone? Well, he, it, he had one, but they, they, they killed him. Right, well, yeah, but he didn't claim him. So I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like Caesarion was ever going to be the the principate of Rome. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. By the way, we're not just conquering all of Europe, but you marry the queen of the richest state, Egypt. I mean, like everyone says, she was the most interesting, most beautiful, glamorous person in the world, too. Right. And so, you know, you know, if Caesar is really king and you marry the queen of Egypt, you are basically becoming God emperor of earth. Absolutely. knew it. I'm sure that was, was went in a lot of the reasons why they were so afraid of him. I think that if you think about the two guys who followed Caesar, Octavian and Mark Antony, like they're good. They're really good examples of like, of, uh, <laughs> flip sides of like people who understand, who understand probability and fortune. Uh, Octavian was, if anything, in the Machiavelli quote, the the extremely cold autistic guy. Right? He didn't mm-hmm. inspire people to love him, but he he had a very uh, explicitly cruel I- idea, like of, of of how to win and what to do. Whereas Anthony was a just screw the optics. I'm going in. 
I'm, I'm going to, it's me against the world. Uh, I'm going to get blasted and, and fight a battle at Actium. You know, he would, he would gamble the entire kingdom on one battle. I got, I get the impression that a, that he didn't even really care about conquering that he just wanted more time with Cleopatra. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to have the will. It's complicated because like everything that we know about this comes down from people who had an ax to grind with, with Cleopatra. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But see, but, but I mean, I believe it. So like, why did Antony become who he was? I mean, Antony became who he was. I mean, the main thing that got in the shot is that he was good at war. He was, you know, to be honest, I mean, Anthony, if you made a movie and you put Caesar, like if you put Caesar in like an action movie, like Die Hard, it'd be pretty boring. If you put Anthony and it would be awesome You see, because Anthony is a, he's much more, I mean, he's a jock. He's, well, he's a very flawed figure, but in a, in a way that much you more enjoy. tragic figure. Yeah. Uh, however, well, one, one thing is just, well, not for certain, but this is my opinion with that, without Anthony, Octavian never takes power. Uh, without Antony's, the only reason they won the battle at Philippi and defeated Cassius and Brutus, without with, without what he did, Octavian would have lost. He might have lost the entire war and ended up like his uncle. Yeah. Well, let's let's get back on track. So you know, Caesar he he, t- he says that small things cause huge variance in war. Then he talks about the fact that if he goes to battle, battle has massive variance, right? So we, you know, his battle record of like literally leading battle it is uh, i mean i'm sure it's good but like his soldiers break ranks all the time. i mean like uh, he like when he enters in real battle he knows that it's kind of like he's got aces versus nine ten yeah he's likely to win but it, it sure isn't it sure isn't a wrap and, and like that's not the only result that can happen you know the other result can be he could just lose a lot of soldiers or whatever just any weird shit, weird shit can ha- weird shit happens once you start battle. Uh, so he understands all that. So let's go to other people's understanding. By okay. the way, this is why ancient history is so much more fun to read about than modern history, because after the middle of the 19th century, there are exceptions. But in general, you can look at like a balance sheet and you figure out who's probably going to win a war. It's uh, in the ancient world. That is not true at all. 500 guys can beat 2000 because of morale breakdowns. And if you're in hand to hand combat, it's all, everything's up for grabs. Like it's way more exciting. Like war is kind of boring now in comparison. Yeah. By the way, have you seen, um, the Northman? No, no. I've heard it's good though. It was good. Like, um, at the beginning they show a Viking raid and, um, and you could tell these guys are really tall and there's, they fight this, what Caesar called a native style of fighting. It just it reminded me that the great stories and of like when Rome first fought them, they were like, okay, these guys are like all massively tall, huge. I don't, they just it, it was very uh, illustrative. But okay, so so that that's that's Caesar's understanding of of what what is some other great men, absolutely great men's sort of a uh, flawed understanding of what. So I'll go to he's not Julius Caesar, but he's he's freaking up there. Uh, you know, his fellow Ferdinand Magellan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's not far off Caesar, is he? In in terms of boldness? Being a great man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and by the way, uh, fighting battles too. Lots of battles. And see, this is where this is where the problem comes in. Okay, so what what's the problem with, with Magellan? Okay, so Magellan is absolutely a great man. He uh, quote unquote navigate circumnavigated the globe. I mean, he basically did it. He died before he, he got there. And the problem with Magellan, and we, don't, I don't know, maybe people that know more that he has sort of, you know, diary entries or, or, you know, people, Caesar told people that he had immaculate luck too, but he clearly didn't. And, and, you know, his diaries, he made note that that's not how luck works. Well, Magellan told people that there was no luck for him because he was protected by God. So, no matter what he, no matter what he did, he's going to win every time. Now there make no mistake. There are, you get an advantage from that. So, you know, in poker, we call, so in poker, there's a type of player called a loose and aggressive player. This, this is what, this is Ferdinand Magellan. They call them maniacs, right? Yeah. That's, that's the term for them. Uh, they're a maniac. The opposite of a maniac is a nit, but, um, <laughs> like the little bug. I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> but, 
But uh, so these the main you know loose and aggressive. So you know Magellan is taking all these stops, and he is like getting involved in all this random shit, and he's like he's volunteering his men. His very you know he doesn't have a an infinite supply of men for battles, and uh he dies. You see this a lot in history that th- this thing where you say that well I'm God's on my side. You hear that you see this a lot in history. And what what do you get out of this? What you get is you get a boost off the bat because you 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 know it, it's like in poker. If I believe I can't lose, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a lot of wins because I'm gonna bluff you. You're gonna be wow. Oh, you 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 had cards there, but eventually you're gonna you know my luck's going to run out. And this, this is what happens to these guys. You can't think like this. You have to think of minimizing your risk. Even, you know, even if you're Caesar, even if you know, you're going to conquer the world, you, every chance you're going to have to go into risky situations, but you need to minimize that. Uh, I've got things to say on how you can, but uh, do you have anything to say about this? No, we'll close Caesar out, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to read another quote. It's Shakespeare. And like Shakespeare is funny because he gets Caesar better than some of Caesar's contemporaries did, right? And just read this quote. <clears throat> it's from it's from Julius Caesar. Why, man, he doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus, and we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves. Men at some time are masters of their fate. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. Mm, yeah, that's it. Now, now I, I just so I want to go back to the the story where where he's where he's he's on the boat, right? And so his luck runs out. He, you know, he tells these guys we're going to make it because I have great luck, and then they don't make it. He's got to make alternate plans. This happens a lot. If you read the Civil Wars, uh, he doesn't win every battle, so he wins the war, but he gets in some real weird situations. What does he do when he loses? He just keeps going. I, I I believe that Caesar has this 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 uh this complicated understanding of luck that that's very accurate. But I knew I had to contrast it. So I believe that modern poker players have the best uh the the, the best players have a very very good understanding of luck. It's it's how they pay their bills. And you you brought up Brian Brian Paris earlier. So I do I had to ask him get a quote from him on this. And I and I asked him this. How you how do you deal with the aftermath of a big bet that comes up, up unlucky? And because th- this is important, so this is going to happen to you in your life. This you know this the, you know that story where I told where the the the, the girls taking applications for an elite college, they just throw half of them in the trash. It's going to happen to you. It's going to yeah. happen to you. You know you're Caesar. You're the greatest general in the world. Well, you're going to lose a freaking battle. And you're going to run away with you know. Uh, it's it, it's not going to be ha- like this is the great ones the greatest of all they lose they lose so I asked Brian this he says two things I remind myself after a big L number one you started with nothing and one day you will return to nothing that is powerful number two you can easily make it all back and then some with one good day or finding the right spot that's uh, well, uh, I think that's pretty brilliant. You ever read you, you never read Ball Four by Jim Bowden, right? No. Well, he's a professional. He he wrote he wrote like the first tell-all professional baseball player book. He got in a lot of trouble because he told stories about Mickey Mantle talking about so you know. But but the the, the book contains a lot of stuff about this guy. He's 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 old now, and he's like he's just barely staying in the in the in the show. He's doing everything he can. He talks about like what what makes a professional baseball player like how do like what makes him different than a re- than a regular guy. And he says the difference is is that like a professional baseball player, you could the last thirty at bats that you had, you didn't get a hit. You're having the, the mother of all slumps, right? But in your mind, you're certain that you're going to knock the ball out of the park here. You're just absolutely certain. Every time you swing and you swung and you missed, you just couldn't believe it. You didn't knock it out of the park. And because you just you forget about what happened, what happened the last time you were up, and this is a totally new day. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen here. Because if you can't do that, then you're gonna constantly you're just gonna get in your head. You're gonna get the yips, and you're done. And I would assume being a gambler, like that's twice as true because so much of it relies on your own psychology, right? Yeah, that, that's uh, I've talked about this before, but gambling, um, 
doesn't matter who you are. So th there's a rule that you do where you don't play with more than 50% of your bankroll at the same time. Yeah. And the reason is because you become a different person when there's more money than that. It's Hell a, yeah. Uh, and like, it doesn't matter if you're the best player in the world. Now, I'm so glad that you brought up baseball because th this gap in understanding is everyone knows there's we had a, a movie with uh, Brad Pitt about it. If anyone's watched um, now, there's almost like a, a, a backlash to this or whatever. But uh, everyone knows about Moneyball. This was uh, Billy Bean. Mm -hmm. Billy Bean basically, uh, you know, became this great hero or whatever because he he understood luck and chance in a way these other people didn't so how so so they you know baseball had like stats like saves or runs batted in the problem is is like there's a lot of luck involved in that right so whether or not you or, or you know there was a phrase that people used to say about baseball where they would say like um uh just give me a guy that wins the game you know i don't care how he does it you know just w's that's all i care about well, that's really stupid if you're trying to evaluate which players to pay the most because there's there's a lot of chance involved in that. And, like, you know, there's other players in the field and stuff. Like, uh, you can't think of it like that. These people didn't understand luck. I mean, just as an example, there's a big scene in the movie, like, a, you know, a, a power scene. Like, you know, in another movie, this would be the scene where someone gets shot or something, where Billy Bean says that whatever the scouts or whatever, their sample size is too small. That this is just literally talking about luck there. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about these the statistic stuff, but there's all there's a, there's a great scene in there where the scouts are all like, "Yeah, we like this guy. He he's got the he's got the look of a baseball player." And this other guy's his girlfriend's ugly. He hadn't had the confidence, right? And and, and the I, you know, the idea being that these guys are just they're making up shit and and they don't know what they're talking about. Where you know, he's trying to use math to overcome their huge financial insecurity compared to like the Yankees or whatever. But uh, like, the, the only problem with Moneyball is that I've read that s subsequently, like basically his teams didn't actually do much better than people who didn't use uh, the, the metrics that he did. And that his like, his big season might've been a fluke. It's so like it was a, it was the the money ball season was too small of a sample size to say anything about whether or not the analytics actually paid off. Well, maybe. I, don't, I don't know if that's true, but I, it would be so it would it, I I want it to be true because that would be really funny. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know about that. I'll just say that uh, one thing that people one thing that's commonly known about baseball. So if you're the best basketball team, you're almost certainly going to make it to the finals, and you'll probably win. But not necessarily. Baseball's uh world baseball's World Series and, and the, the their playoffs is like totally random. If you if you make it in the eighth place or whatever, you could win it all because baseball has high variance. Yeah, that that's true. Just the just the structure of baseball with like where you have one guy who who controls the game like almost entirely. But when he when he's at the plate, he can he can do you can it, basketball is, is commonly said to be a sport like where you know, it's star dominated and you can have one guy who can change things. But baseball is, is way more like that because like you have one guy at the plate, he can knock the ball apart and win the game by himself. Yeah, also, you, can, you, you can have you can have bums uh, follow like eight more bums follow him in the order. He could he could in theory win the game. Yeah, also low scoring, just like soccer. So it, if a game is settled two one. Then anybody could have won that game, but let's let's let's. Oh, that's keep, a good point. Yeah, uh, but let's let's keep going. So, how do you deal? How do you deal with variance? So let's, let's talk about the different ways. So you know, uh, I think there's there's different contexts of how of how you're doing this. So Caesar isn't gam. Caesar isn't literally playing in the card room, but he does have ways to deal with it. And in, in general, let's talk about. So how do you deal with variance when you play poker? Well, way you deal with variance to play poker is you. The, going to the fifteen percent rule, you basically you play more reps, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. it, instead of just taking all your money and taking it to the casino, you take a little bit of your money, and then you play ten times as much. So now your variance is, is much less, right? So you don't have the big swings. Now, how how does this how does this apply to your daily life in terms of what, like what strategies that Caesar use like all the time and stuff? So the one strategy everyone notes about Caesar. In terms of like, you know, the way he did politics and war and stuff is that he was a speed guy, right? So his his goal would be to get to the battle first. 
Uh, he like uh, the way he traveled, right? So he would he wrote he was a very he was a very fast horse rider. So he would ride as fast as he could, and then then as he as he slept, they would haul him in a carriage. So his goal was always to be the fastest. When he was doing politics in Rome, he had um, he, he he would he would go with with four or five like scribes, right? And he's and he's he's talking on the Bluetooth in the, in the cab, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> What what's he doing there? So he's he's putting in more reps. How would this go to your daily life? So well, first of all, you know if you got a great job opportunity, you apply the four more. All you're doing there is you're you know that you have probably the same chance or even less chance to get those other jobs as that one job. But the the much you must understand is that job application has huge variance. It's not it doesn't necessarily reflect on you that you didn't get the job. You don't, there's so, you think about the chance that, that like, who else applied to that job? You know, like, you, there's no way you could control any of these things. Maybe someone that was better than you that was going to apply the job, uh, they got another job or they got stuck in traffic or something. So you get the job. It's huge, a huge variant situation. So way you beat the situation, way you beat the variance is by going faster and more reps. Uh, let's see, who was it? I can't remember if it was DiMaggio or Lou Gehrig who he got his first start because the guy who was, who was starting in his position, like took a rest day because he got, a little, he got a little hurt. He, he could have played, but he didn't. And then he got, you know, somebody this new kid got, got a shot and uh, he never got his job back. Right. Like the, it, this is just this one freak opportunity. And, and it turned out he was the best baseball player in human history. Or, you know, more contemporary example, like all those guys who sell those books about how you can become like the a lady killer and you can be great at dating. And like what it boils down to is you need to go to a bar and you need to ask 15 women out on a date. And uh, one of them might say yes. That's a great example of high variance. Yeah. Let's <laughs> go to the alpha male strategies here. You know, when you ask out a woman, like, you know, the chance that she's single or not or interested in you, or you look like her ex-boyfriend or something, just think about the variance there. It, it, it could be, you know, you have no idea what you're walking into. That, I mean, that's the key, right? So if you're going to lose, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to put in more attempts. You've got to, you got to be faster. You've got to, you got to put in more reps. This is how you deal with variance and you're going to deal with variance. You know, we talk about these guys are Caesar Magellan. I'm not Caesar. And you're listening to this. You're, you're probably not Magellan, right? So <laughs> no, if you're listening to this, you are more likely to be like Magellan. All of our listeners are great men and women. Yeah. Now <laughs> I, I would like to say something about the, the fate guys, right? So the guys who say like, well, I can't lose cause I'm with fate. Well, um, I'm going to assume you're religious. I'll say, uh, I don't know what religion you're in, but like, I don't know. I don't think Jesus been handing out any, any money back guarantees. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that verse. This, this all depends on what you're doing. If you're Magellan, that is the best way to be. Like you're doing something that's insanely dangerous. There's really no way you can turn around. Not really. You have to keep going. So you might as well just say, yeah, he could have controlled his wrist better. I guess. Caesar does any battle that Caesar doesn't have to fight. He negotiates out of that is not what Mr. Magellan was doing. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Mr. Magellan was swinging, was, you know, swinging his dick around and talking about that. He can't lose the battle. Well, the, well, I'm sorry. Uh, unless, you know, unless you have a, you know, you have a direct communication with the big guy upstairs and he's giving you this, uh, make sure you get that in writing. And so, <laughs> Sorry, it makes me think of a great. There's a great story about. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, so you brought you brought the the concept of predestination earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's John Calvin, and it's a simple idea. It's basically, um, you know, is God all powerful? Yeah. Is God omnipotent? Yeah. So if he knows, and this is one of these things, it's like could God microwave a burrito so hot that he couldn't eat it? You know, mm -hmm. it's like you're 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 playing these logic games. So so the logic game is so if God knows everything that he must know the future, right? If the future is included in the set of everything, right? Sure. So if he knows the future, then like that means your your future is set in stone because he already knows what's going to happen. Now, he I was the, the story is this, and this is this is John Calvin's predestination idea. I'm sure I'm butchering it whatever. 
and the idea is this he he tells this is sort of hotly debated even at the time luther meets him and calvin has tries to convince him of this right so john calvin gives him the speech on on predestination and gives lays the logic out there luther says okay that's fine i don't see anything wrong with it necessarily i guess i agree with it but if you ever mention it again i'm gonna kick your ass I'm not going to speculate on Calvin or theological debates, but I'll just say this: like the the con, there's a lot, there's been a lot of different variations of concept that God's all powerful and all knowing. So like like basically everything that happens is set in stone, and it's he he it, he he made this happen. If if you're watching your kid build a sandcastle and the and the waves are coming in, you know what's going to happen, but you didn't cause that to happen. Like you didn't cause them to build the sandcastle there. You don't, you don't, you're not, you're not willing the waves to destroy the sand, but you know, what's going to happen. You might not necessarily stop them or like, you know, you're, you see your dog and it catches a bee. Well, you know how that's going to turn out in the next five seconds, but you didn't, you didn't sting his lip yourself. Maybe you didn't stop him, but like, that's not, that's not what someone with like parental authority. It's not always the best move, right? Mm -hmm. to step in and stop it like okay that's this is your deal you got so you know to to me i've never found that like a compelling a a compelling argument it's like yeah someone can know what's going to happen but doesn't mean that the choices that you make aren't valid yeah uh you know if you're one of those guys i think that's a, a a good argument why you should pay attention to risk you should control risk you're gonna have to you're going to enter in risky situations. It doesn't make you a coward to control risk. Caesar wasn't a coward. Uh, you know, these people, these high stakes gamblers, these, these people that sit down and play poker, they play a card game for millions of dollars. They're not cowards. You, but you need to control risk. And there's times when you can push risk. You know, if you're in poker hand with a player that's much better than you, or you, or you don't have a lot of opportunity, then you, then you swing for the fences. That's, that's the term swing for the fences, right? Uh, you yeah. don't, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're a great batter, then you, you, you bat for average. But, uh, yeah, anyways, have you heard that term luck be a lady? Yeah. What is that from? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I, I've always knew the song luck be a lady tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's from Machiavelli and luck be a lady. And she, <laughs> she needs a slap across the cheeks every once in a while to keep her happy. Yeah. It's a, by, by the way, have you ever heard this, this fifties term by Jove? Yeah. You know what that means? Yeah, it's by God, uh, by yeah. Jupiter. Yeah. 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 By Jupiter. That that's hilarious. That, uh, you know, those, a lot of those like funny, funny, um, old swears are like actually really transgressive. Like gold darn it. It's like saying GD it, right. You're, you're that's blasphemy. You could go to hell for that. Like we, like we think of it like something, like something funny. Yosemite Sam says, but stuff like that, like by Jove was the way to say by God without, you know, endangering your mortal soul hotter than a witch's titty in a brass bra <laughs> that's I a, ne- well i never heard that one yeah that's i've a, heard of colder than a witch's titty yeah uh anyways <laughs> <laughs> uh are you a tough titty said the kitty but the milk's still good <laughs> <laughs> we need to make the the good old boys aphorism <laughs> book for our first piece of merch yeah uh, so, okay. So anyway, so they, they'll look be a lady. So I think that's a, that's a good, and, and like, well, in Roman times, like literally is a woman. It's Fortuna, it's fortune. And so to recap, so luck is, has to be understood as fickle. You know, it's, it's, it's a 50, 50, but it's a thing that you can control that the variance of situations, some situations are high variance. Some, some are, well, there's something you could take away from the ancient tradition too, which is the idea that being a good person, like virtuous, being virtuous can influence fortune to be on your side. And certainly being unvirtuous can earn you the ire of fortune. And, you know, Apollo is going to turn into a, a moose and come down and screw up your entire life. But like that's that's a universal constant. Just by living your life the right way, your variance or whatever, you're going to you're going to fall on the on the better side more often just because you're doing things the right way over and over and over again. It's like, like there's a it's a meme on my spot. How every January first, the gym is flooded with people who are like they're going to go ride the exercise cycle for the first time since the last <laughs> the last New Year's Day, right? Yeah. Like, but like that's not how it works. You like you the the boring sad truth is you have to just do it every day, and you have to make like you, you just got to the repetitions are what matters. And if you're doing things the right way. You're, you're, you'll see results over time with your when your sample size gets large enough. 
Yeah. Okay. I like I like the way you finished that better. I didn't like the way it started because um, you can be a good person and have terrible luck. Uh, so you know, in the Bible they did that with uh, Job, basically. Of course. Uh, yeah. 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 And and you know you can have bad luck. You know you can miss this job and that job. You've got to. You've just got to keep. You got to keep rolling. Get get that sample size up there, and then control risky situations. You may enter into risky situations, but do your best to limit them. Look, babe, before people get doomer about about, especially the way things are today. And uh, look how it turned out for Job. You know, eventually his luck turned around. Yeah, I mean, you talk about luck. Think about the seventy-eight-year-old heartbeats that you know the the state is running on right now. <laughs> <laughs> they can-